listening to the White Oak Houston podcast, the official podcast of White Oak Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. White Oak exists to help people come alive to the wonder of the gospel and fully follow Jesus. For more information, please visit us online at whiteoakchurch.net. Romans 12, just reading verses 1 through 2. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen behind me. This is God's will and his word for us today. Paul, writing to the church in Rome, says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated at this time. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing today? Good morning, church. How are we doing today? Just, I expect to do that twice every time. No, don't, don't feel any pressure to nail it the first time. I know I got to do it twice. Um, and I'm so glad to be with you all today. Um, this is an amazing day in the Lord's house. Uh, we will conclude our service here today with baptism. We will conclude with people that are publicly declaring their faith and that they want to walk with us and they want us to support them as they pursue the Lord. And today is also a really exciting day because we begin a brand new series together entitled Better Together. And so turn to your neighbor and say, we're better together. Turn to your other neighbor and tell them the same thing as well, we're better together. And our vision as a church is we have a passion to see every member of our church, and even if you're not a member, we invite you to be a part of this as well, but we have a passion to see every member of our church in a community group, walking in community, getting to know people in the body, building the relationships that we need to live the life that God has for us. And the title of my sermon this morning is Transformed Together. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm going to be transformed today. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I'm going to be transformed today. You're going to be transformed. You're going to receive God's word. And he's going to speak to you very powerfully. And I say that today because here's the reality, church. We have the choice by God's design to choose community or isolation. You have that choice. And the next few months, you have a choice to choose community or isolation. I saw a really interesting article that NPR put out about a month ago. And they were giving the results of a study that was done on the loneliness of Americans. And it was done by Cigna, which is a health insurance company. And what you'll notice is a lot of health insurance companies are really interested in the concept of loneliness and depression and anxiety because maybe the same way that 50 years ago all of a sudden we discovered that smoking was really bad for your health and causing all kinds of health problems, the discovery of our day is that loneliness and lack of meaningful relationships 
is extremely detrimental to your health. And so a health insurance company commissioned this study. And let me tell you what they found. It's astounding. It said that roughly 50% of all the people that they surveyed would classify themselves as lonely or generally left out. 54% would say they don't believe a single person knows them that well. And that's including married people. 56% of the people said that the people that are around them, when they're with them, they don't really feel like they're truly with them. 40% said that the statement, I am isolated from others, was accurate for them. And the studies that we're finding continue to show that loneliness has verifiable negative effects on quality of life, physical health, self-esteem, and a general positive outlook on life. They've also found that mental health problems also increase with loneliness because depression, anxiety, and suicide are all higher when a person feels lonely. But let me tell you the most notable statistic of all the things, the one that that shocked me the most, because it's contrary to what you commonly think. They surveyed in this survey four different generations— And so generation, I think, Z is the new one. I'm a millennial. The one below me is generation Z. There's the boomers and the Xers and all those kinds of things. But what they found was that the younger the generation, contrary to to common thought, the younger the generation, the more lonely that they felt. Normally we think that older people, as they get older, tend to feel more lonely, and I'm sure that's the case for some people. But overall, the younger the generation, the more likely they are to feel lonely. And you hear those statistics, and all of a sudden, uh, Hebrews chapter 10 sounds a lot different, where he says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. All of a sudden, a verse that often sounds like a command or an invitation just to a simple ritual now sounds like God in that verse is saving us from ourselves. You see, all people have a choice in their life between community and isolation. And the problem, church, is that in our day, people are increasingly choosing isolation. I've heard there was a day when people would actually hang out on the front porch, right? That doesn't happen anymore, right? Now people hang out on the back deck. Even the simplest things, like I don't know if you heard, but there's only one blockbuster. You know there's a blockbuster still around in the, in the state of Oregon? There's one blockbuster left, and I, I listened to a podcast on how it's on the verge of closing. I literally had to go to Walmart yesterday to a brick-and-mortar store to buy some things instead of just buying it off of Amazon, and I was frustrated that I had to do it, if I'm honest. Okay? I'm not hating on ClickList or getting the, the groceries delivered to your car. We do that, right? But nowadays, you just order your groceries online, and they set them in the car, and you interact with one person as opposed to everyone else in the store. The world is increasingly choosing isolation. But here's my statement for us today, church. But we are the church. We are the light of the world. And we are different. We choose community. Turn to your neighbor and say, I choose community. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I choose community. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 that you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Church, you are not called to fall in line with the world around you. 
you were called to lead the world around you into God's good and perfect and loving will. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be studying Romans chapter 12. And uh, Romans chapter 12 is a, is a really important chapter of Scripture because the book of Romans is considered to be, if you ever read it, it's absolutely amazing. It's considered to be like the greatest theological writing of all time. And I would even argue in the Bible, it's the most theological and comprehensive um, book of the Bible that simply just explains the gospel and the work that God has done in this world. And in Romans chapter 1 through 11, it's a really long writing, right? What Paul has essentially done is he's explained the gospel. It's the longest explanation of the gospel and what's wrong with the world and what's wrong with your life and how God is redeeming the world and how Israel is a part of that and how the church is a part of that. Romans 1 through 11 says that you've been changed, you've been set free, you're no longer condemned, you're no longer a slave, you now have the Spirit of God within you, and he's doing a wonderful work in your life. Romans 1 through 11 explains that theologically. But then there's this massive shift in our text today, in Romans chapter 12, and all of a sudden, Paul changes gears and begins to talk about how this practically works itself out in our life. And what Paul teaches us in Romans 12 is this, that gospel doctrine or gospel belief ultimately creates gospel community. That the work that God is doing in us, the transformation that he's doing in us, ultimately connects us with other people. And yet I have to be honest this morning that the two verses that we're studying today will seem out of context. And if I'm honest, even kind of random if you don't know the context of what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying in these two verses doesn't sound a lot like community. But I would argue in the context of what he's saying that what Paul is doing in our two verses this morning is he's laying the foundation for the community that's going to change our churches and change our lives because it all begins with worshiping the one true God. So look at Romans chapter 12 verse 1 with me today. I'll be honest, this verse growing up, I read it, I knew it. It was always really confusing to me. I I didn't really understand really quite what it meant, and I'm excited to explain it today. Paul says this in Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So he's referring back to Romans 1 through 11, where he explained the mercy of God in the gospel. And so he's saying, because of everything I've just told you, he says in verse 1, Therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And I think the main idea in this passage is that what Paul is doing is he's connecting your whole life and the way you live to the things that you worship. Because in the church in Rome, there is a temptation that we often face today to say, I go to church, right? I go to my hour, hour and a half, or maybe two-hour service if the preacher goes long. Don't worry, that won't be today. Um, and they're like, oh, man, that would be, I'd be at 1.30. Um, and so uh, he kind of go in there, get your worship in, do the thing, you know, check the box, and then continue going on to live your life. It's like, you know, I'm doing this, but hey, I went to worship. Hey, I, I, I raised my hand. Hey, I sang the songs. You know, hey, I listened to the sermon, you know, so I, but, I, but I got it in, right? I, I checked the box, right? And now I'm on to the rest of my life. And yet what Paul says is, I appeal to you to present your bodies. And that word bodies simply just means your whole life. Everything you do, your whole being, even your body and its actions and its schedule and everything that you do, present your entire being as a living sacrifice to God. Because in the Old Testament, you would make a sacrifice and you would kill the animal that you were sacrificing, right? 
But Christ has died for us on the cross. And so now when we sacrifice, the sacrifice is the death of Christ. And we, as a result of our sacrifice, we're a living sacrifice, not a dying sacrifice in that sense. And what he says is, is if your life is a sacrifice to God, then therefore you should be holy because that is what is acceptable to the Lord. And that word spiritual worship um, is often pointed out that really a, a better translation of that is even the word reasonable. So your body and your actions in your life being a living sacrifice is your reasonable. It's your clear. It's what you really worship. It's, it's proof of what you worship in your life. And church, here's what I want you to hear today. Here's what I need you to get with me. Your life is one big worship service. And you've probably never thought of that before. Your life is one big worship service. It's ongoing. It's never ending. And at all moments, you are in a worship service that is your life and you're worshiping Something. Let me paint a picture for you. I've, I've been really excited to, to make this illustration all week. I've been looking forward for you to show up so I can tell you this, right? I get real excited about this kind of stuff. So imagine you show up to church next week, right? And maybe, hopefully, you like the service today, and you come back, and you're like, I liked it. You know, I'd like to come back. You know, maybe you're a first-time visitor. Maybe you're a long-time visitor. Except the next time you show up, you, you walk in the front of the church, and, uh, and stick with me here. Don't worry, I'm not going off the tracks here. You walk into the front steps, right? And instead of there being um, coffee, there's this table with just like liquor shots lined up, okay? Some of you heathens are like, sign me up, right? Sign, <laughs> sign me up. Wait, what, what is this written out? It's a joke, right? And then the team that's supposed to be there to, to greet you, right, and welcome you, they're mean to you. And as you walk in, they tell you how ugly you look today and how upset that you've decided to show up and worship with them today. And you're like, what is going on? This is definitely a new church for a new day. This is, this is a whole new kind of thing. And like, man, maybe something is just off in the lobby, right? But you make your way in, and you're like, okay. Then, then the music starts. Okay, thank goodness the service is starting. I don't know what's going on in this place. And as Lindsay gets up here to sing, she begins to sing a medley of Taylor Swift songs, okay? About some guy back in the day that dumped her, and she's really upset about it, Okay? And she invites you to stand and worship with her as she sings this song. And you're like, do I raise my hands to this? Like, is this, you know, it's like, we're never getting back together. Like, she's like singing that, right? And, and, and you're like, oh my gosh, which funny story about it. When I was in college, um, there was a band that loved the chapel service that we had. This is totally off topic. It was not in my notes. And um, the band decided, for whatever reason, to open up the, the service with like a, like a non-Christian song. And there was a guy in the front row who didn't get it. And he was worshiping the whole time to it. It was so funny. He didn't get it. It was a U2 song, but he didn't know that, right? He said, oh, come on, man. That's not a worship song, you know? Anyway, funny story, right? But she's singing Taylor Swift songs, right? And you're like, what? Like, I mean, it's, it's a building and it looks like a church, but, but what, what's happening? And then I get up for my sermon, you're like, thank goodness, right? We're going to hopefully open the Bible and get, get this thing back on track, right? But I get up here, I have no Bible, I don't open the Bible, I don't read any scriptures, and my whole sermon is on my forecast for how many wins the Texans are going to have this year in their season. And my prediction is 10 wins, because Deshaun Watson's back and he's really good, but I think he's going to have somewhat of a slight sophomore slump, which I honestly do think, right? Though I'm praying against that, right? I think he's going to take a step back, right? I'm not, I'm not speaking. And you're like, listen to me, make my case and my argument for why the Texans are going to go 10 and 6 this year. And you're like, what is happening here? And then we start collecting the offering. And all of a sudden, it's made very clear that this offering is going to buy me a private jet so I can travel the world and enjoy myself. And that's what all of your money is going towards. 
And then we dismiss the service, right? Can you imagine if you walked and that's what was going on and you'd be like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Here's what you would probably do. If that happened, you would, you'd walk up to me after the service as I'm like here greeting people and you would say, John, what are you doing? This is not a worship service. And I'm like, you bet it's a worship service. We're worshiping all kinds of things, right? And you would say, okay, well, but, but the problem is you're worshiping the wrong thing. And that's what Paul is saying here to the church in Rome so often about our lives. The way you live your life reflects what you worship. And, and the same way that, that, that a lot of things I talk about have no place in a worship service that's lifting up the Lord, right? It doesn't make sense to be mean to people when they walk in. It makes sense to be hospitable to people, right? Because God was hospitable to us. It makes sense to preach the scriptures. It makes sense to sing songs about how good Jesus is. It doesn't make sense to do other things. And the same way, if your life, since you're redeemed and you're a living sacrifice, it doesn't make sense for sin to remain in your life. And the things that we live that are often unacceptable to the holiness of God in our life are just as bad if we were to bring those things into a worship service and center our time on it. Your life is a living sacrifice to God. That's why it matters what your life is full of. And that's why it matters what your life is built on. And that's why it matters that certain things cannot be in your life anymore if you want to be with Jesus. I was thinking this week, and I think it's a really cool concept. Did you know that nothing you do is random in your life? Nothing you do is random. Every single thing that you do in your life, every single action that you take is born out of something that you love in your heart. There is nothing random about what you do. Your outer life reveals your inner love. Your outer life reveals your inner love. There's a really good definition of worship, and it says, Worship is the continuous outpouring of all that I am, all that I do, and all that I can ever become in light of a God that I have chosen. Worship is what we pour ourselves out for. Worship is what we're, we're killing ourselves for. Worship is what we're pursuing in this life. And what Paul says in Romans chapter 1 is that everybody worships. Even if you're not a Christian and you're here today, you worship something. Paul says this in Romans 1 verse 25. He says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship the creature rather than the creator. And my question for us this morning is that are we worshiping the things of this world or the author and the creator of this world? This world tempts us to worship things like money, like sexual pleasure, the approval of man, the people around us. The world wants us to pour our lives out for some ambiguous kind of concept of success in this world, for the right status, to have the perfect family. We worship all kinds of things. And what Paul says today is that God is doing a new work in your life, and your life is supposed to be one ongoing big worship service that honors God and is receiving all of his blessing and all that he has for you. Let's continue on in verse 2. Just want to look at the first few words of verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world. And so he says, essentially, your life is your worship. 
And then immediately after that, he says the problem, that we're often conformed to this world. And so the next thing that Paul tells us is that do not let this world shape your worship. Do not let this world shape your worship. Because this world, or that that word can also be translated as age, this, this moment in history God is revealing to us, he's like, you need to know this, is corrupt. And there's sin, and there's evil, and you know that. And this world is broken. And so what Paul is saying is if you just kind of go along and you're aimless in life and you don't intentionally build your life, if you just go with the flow, follow everybody else, right, you will be conformed to this world and your life will not be the life of worship that God wants it to be. Paul is saying, listen, this world is intentionally trying to some degree to corrupt you and you need to know this because you can beat it and you can stand firm and you can still all have that God has for you. I uh, was uh, doing some research recently, and um, I, I have this theory that probably when, when my kids look back on my generation, um, the, the notable thing that they'll notice, if we made one big mistake, I think this might be the big mistake we made, social media. And I want to be clear, I like social media. I think social media is good. I'm all up on social media. I love Facebook. I love Instagram. Right? I think it's a really good tool. I think it's a good thing. I think it helps us connect to people. And I also think as, as followers of Jesus, it's a great way to give a window into what God is doing in your life to be a witness. I think, I think social media is a great tool. But just like the world, it's a mixed bag. Amen? And as I've been doing research, because I'm like, man, if I'm going to be involved in this new thing that we don't know that much about, I want to research it and I want to know what I'm a part of. And one of the things that I found, and everybody will tell you this, that if you use social media, you need to know this. right? You probably already do know it, but you need to really know this. That social media is literally designed to make you addicted to it. It is intentionally designed that way. Social media, Facebook, Instagram, it's all a business, right? And they profit off of it the more that we're on it. And they design it intentionally. They, They track everything that you like and everything that you comment on and everything that you share. They track everything. They know a lot about you. And so they track what you're doing and then they they fill your feed with the things that you like, because they, if they can do that, they'll keep you on it longer. And social media is a, is a good thing to be on, but if you don't realize that they're trying to get you addicted, you'll just end up being addicted. And we always say things like, oh, I'm so addicted, I'm on it so much, you know, kind of like half-heartedly, but it gets a little creepy when all of a sudden we're addicted and someone's trying to make you addicted. That's creepy, right? They're providing the goods that you want but when you realize that, what you can do is you can use social media for the good things and set limits and disciplines in your life to make sure that you're not an addict. I know a lot of people that take it off of their phone. They limit their access to it. You can actually install an app on your phone that tells you how often you've been on it and set a limit for how long you let yourself be on there. And that's what this world is like. Paul says that this world in this current age when sin is still present, it's corrupting. And if you let the world shape the things that you pursue and shape the things that you worship, you will be conformed to this world and not to the beautiful image of the Lord. And so Paul says that we are to shape what shapes us. Church, do you know that you get to build your life? That we have so many decisions. That we can decide how we spend our money and how we use our time and the things that we do and the things that we say and the things that we don't say, we can control the things that get in front of our eyes. 
you have so much power and ability by the grace of God to build and shape the life that will produce the life that you know God wants for you. So therefore, worship the Lord. Your, your life is your worship. Do not be conformed to this world. I love how in Galatians 5.16, Paul says that we have the Spirit, but he says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so what he's saying is you have the Spirit, but you have to choose to walk by that Spirit. And so as followers of Jesus, we, we love this world, we love being um, a, a light in this world, but we're not taking our cues from this world, are we? We're in the word of God. We are building each other up to love and kindness and good works, and we're building our life around the things of the Lord. But continue on in verse chapter 2. This is my favorite part of it. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Evan Horn, one of our members this week, uh, pointed out something really cool to me. He points out that that word transformed in the Greek is metamorpho. It's a Greek word. And it's where we originally get our English word for metamorphosis. And I love this. Let me read you the definition of metamorphosis, right, in our English language. This is what Paul is saying. He says, Metamorphosis is a change of the form or nature of a thing or person into a completely different one by natural or supernatural means. Maybe you were awake one day in your science class growing up and you heard of the term metamorphosis. Raise your hand if you've heard of metamorphosis, right? Give, give me the, the common example of an animal that goes through this or an insect. Butterfly, awesome. Somebody was, thank you, Gary, you're paying attention in school. That's awesome, right? I didn't like science, so I learned this later on in life. I'm just kidding. I learned this back in the day. But let me read the definition of metamorphosis from a biological process. It says, metamorphosis is a biological process by which an animal physically develops after birth or hatching, involving a conspicuous and relatively abrupt change in the animal's body structure through cell growth and differentiation. And so what it's saying is that, that normally in nature, there's like a natural process of maturation. Like normally, you know, when, when a baby cub is born, it's grown and it kind of looks the same its whole life. It just kind of gets a little bit bigger or more mature. And the problem is, is a lot of times, the same way that we grow physically, we think that's where we grow spiritually. Like a little bit over time, right? 5% better today, 2% better today. And, and when we get saved, you know, we're, we're, we're a work in progress, which is true. But we kind of use that statement to say we kind of grow kind of baby steps, right? And yet Paul intentionally uses this word metamorphosis, transformed. And what Paul means is that it is a radical abrupt change and you become a completely different person. This word is also used only three other times in the New Testament, and two of those times are used for the transfiguration. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew 17 with me. I want you to read this. Matthew chapter 17, just verses 1 and 2. Jesus is, is going to do something miraculous here, and Paul is going to use the same word in our text to explain what he's doing. Matthew 17, starting in verse 1, it says, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother. So his, his, his inner circle of people, some of his closest disciples, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became white as light. 
And in Scripture, this is known as the transfiguration of Jesus. And if I'm honest, it always kind of creeped me out in like a really good and holy kind of way. I'm like, can you imagine standing before Jesus? And in some miraculous way, he's like, he looks human, and all of a sudden, he, he becomes the glory of God in this kind of scary, intense, holy image. He's shining, and he's bright, and he looks otherworldly. And in this moment, what Jesus is doing is he's giving them a glimpse into his true glory. He's like, I, I know I'm here in this body form uh, to save the world and to lead you, but I still want you to know my glory. And it says he transfigured before them. He became something completely different. It wasn't a gradual term. It was like instantly he becomes something different. And that same word transform, meaning transfiguration, is the same word that Paul uses in talking about us and our process of growth. And what Paul ultimately says is that transformation is burning your old life down to the ground and building a completely new life. When Paul says transformation, he doesn't mean kind of shape up a little bit. He means that who you used to be is completely gone. You see, Christianity is really hard and confusing when we keep trying to remodel our old life. Amen? You ever done that? Keep trying to remodel. You, you kind of want a slightly upgraded version of the person that you used to be. I see this all the time as a pastor. Someone follows Jesus, and then they're still trying to date somebody who does not love the Lord. They, 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 they're following Jesus, but they've got this old relationship that's from the past, and they're having a hard time letting it go. And I understand I was there. I know that stuff is really hard. It's funny. The other day, I... Um, <laughs> I was, like, cleaning out my closet. And you know you're a full adult when, like, I was, like, so excited to clean my closet out, right? I, I went to work, and I looked forward all day to cleaning out my closet and getting it organized, okay? Like, and it was a very uh, great experience. And I have this problem, right? Because I listen to all these podcasts, and they say things like, you know, you know, your life will be better and, and more efficient if you get all organized. And I get all inspired. Like, yeah, like, like, get rid of all those clothes you don't wear anymore. Just, just get rid of all that junk. You don't need that. Like, all those little bottles in, like, the medicine cabinet. You just keep, like, you don't need that stuff. Throw it all away, you know? And, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get rid of all my clothes. I'm going to have, like, like, 10 shirts that I wear. And my closet is going to be so clear. I'm going to be a minimalist. It's going to be amazing, you know? I'm going to be so clean and so organized. And then I go into my closet. And I start, I'm like, oh, well, I wore that shirt to uh this, this thing I, from college that I remember. And, and I know I, I never wear a blazer, but what if I end up needing like a light navy blue blazer one day, right? Like you've been there, right? The dress you never wear, but like what if this one unique event happens and I need that kind of a dress, right? It's like, well, I don't need this shirt, but like what if I'm working, I want, I want a sleeveless shirt, so I need to keep that even though I never wear it. And I end up with more clothes somehow. I get more clothes because I get stuff from like the top and I bring it down and I, I leave with more clothes, and Halsey, literally, she won't let me throw away stuff. Like anything that has any kind of relationship to our relationship. Like, I can't get rid of it, right? I have the shirt that I wore on our first date, and it's got holes in it. But she's like, I will divorce you if you throw that shirt away, right? She's like, I will, I'll leave. I'll be out, you know? And, and you can't get rid of stuff. And that shoe's got a hole in it, but you're keeping it around. And, and that's what Paul is saying to this church. You just keep trying to conform your old life. And you wonder why your faith is such a struggle. You ever try to fit something together that just didn't fit? 
doesn't all that it creates is just pain and struggle and problems? You see, we come to Jesus and, and, and we still want to control our whole life, don't we? And Paul's like, you controlling your life and controlling your spouse and controlling all your... Like, like that was your old life. And if you want to follow me, you've got to burn down that house to the ground, completely gone. Burn it down, wipe the ashes away, because God's like, I'm building something new and different. And it's not going to look like the people around you. And it's not going to look like the way you used to look. It's not going to be you 2.0. It's going to be a completely different you. I know you used to be frantic and busy and overly stressed out, but that's not going to fit in this new life because he says that my yoke is light and easy. We're going to clear your life out. You can't do everything, but you're going to do the most important things. Paul says this as well in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. He says, But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through evil desires or deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So that same phrase again, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. By, by mind, that just basically means the things that you believe. Your mind is your reason. The, the, the mind is um, the values and the standards that you have. You have to renew your standards. You need new standards that come from the word of God. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put off the new self, or to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. See, here's what I think your problem is today. You don't realize the depth and the magnitude of the work that God is trying to do in your life. I believe that there's a lot of people in this room and you kind of underestimated how much God was going to transform. You showed up looking for a little bit of hope. You showed up looking for a little bit of community, a little bit of friendship, and Jesus took all of your life. And God's like, oh, 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 you thought this was going to be casual? Oh, 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 oh you thought I was going to be laid back about this whole sanctification process? God's like, oh, oh, you thought I was going to put you on a payment plan? Okay, like slowly turn your life over to me, right? Payment plan, right? Oh, oh, you thought, God's like, oh, you thought I was going to be patient while you continue to waste your life and give it to lesser things. God's like, oh, you, you thought I was going to sit idly by while you keep wasting the precious life that I gave you, worshiping created things and not the creator of all things. You see, we often miss the memo that God is holy. He is far beyond the corruption of this world, and he loves you intensely, and he's doing a big work in your life. It's a metamorphosis. It's burning down the old life. And every time that I struggle in my life and I, and, I, and, I, and I just can't seem to get something together, it's always because I'm holding on to something. I'm holding on so tightly because if I'm honest, I kind of liked that part of my life. I kind of liked it. Jesus says, let it go. See, I believe this message is for someone today and it's telling you that it's time to light the match to burn down what was 
to be a part of what God has for you. See, Jesus gives all. That's what Paul says in Romans 1 through 11. He says, Jesus has given you all, but he also demands all. Don't forget this. 50% of devotion to Jesus will create 0% change in your life. In fact, that argument probably makes you worse because now you're like a hypocrite, right? That's even worse, you know? Transformation is burning down the old life for the new life. And so as we draw to a close today, I want to give you a sneak peek into next week because I think that it explains the context of our passage today. So in Romans 12, 1 through 2, what, what Paul is saying is he's saying literally your life is your worship and that your life, because it is your worship to the Lord, God is completely making it different. He's completely getting rid of the old self. He's giving you a completely different life. But in the original translation, this was not separated from verses 3 through 5. See, after Paul says that, it's really just an introduction. And he goes on to say this. I'll give you a sneak peek into the sermon next week. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though, I love this, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. See, the reason why this is in Romans 12 is because what Paul is saying in those first two verses is that our transformation, our metamorphosis, brings us the church together and makes us better. Why do we belong together now? We're a family. And my life isn't easy, and I know your life isn't easy. And so how about this? How about we how about we not make it harder? by isolating ourselves and pretending like we don't need others to be there for us, to encourage us, to call us out when we're straying, to remind us of what is important in life. See, Paul says that your life is a worship service before the Lord and the first order of business as he joins us together because this is how we're going to grow. Jesus is moving us from isolation to community. And it can be a painful process because maybe you've been hurt before, you've been stabbed in the back, but once again, God's doing a completely new work in your life. See, the old you and the the world says things like, you know, I'm I'm too busy for community and meaningful relationships. I I don't have time to meet with you weekly because I've got a job and I've got my kids and I've got my family and I've got my house and I've got my goals and my own dreams. I have all these, I have too many priorities to get close to you. And then God gives us a new spirit and that spirit cries out, of course I have time for you. Of course I'll walk with you. I mean, what else could I be doing that's more important than you? You're my priority. 
So I think God is speaking to all of us today, myself included. And I think God's calling all of us out of isolation and into community. And I can think of two kinds of people here this morning. I think everyone fits into one or two categories. And, and the first thing is, I think if you're here this morning and you're not a member of the church, like you're called to have a family. Church should feel like a family. And as your pastor, I want to help you take that step. And so if you believe God's leading you to walk with us here, you know, any church you go to is fine, but, but, but we have to be somewhere. And if you feel like God's drawing you here, we have a membership info class right after this service over here in our community building. And Pastor James would love to sit down with you and, and explain to you what it looks like to walk with us in the church. So maybe for you today, your journey of transformation means that you finally find your family. You settle in and you get to know people. Or maybe you're already a member. Our vision this fall is for every single person in our church to be in a community group because everybody needs it. And as of right after this service, we are launching the portal where you can sign up. You can go online to our, our, our website, wideoutchurch.net, on the front page. You can sign up for a group. We have a group for every age and stage of life. I want to call you to take that step because you're being completely transformed. And this is the new us. This is our new rhythm. We do life together. I want to pray for you. Bow your heads at this time. Father, we're so prone to hold on to the old self. God, I know that I'm the chief of that. I don't know why I, I do it. I don't know why it's so hard to, to give you what's rightfully yours. But God, I confess I, I need your help. God, I know there's people in this room and, and, and they're trying to follow you, but it's just so hard because the world is so tempting and the old ways are so familiar to us. But God, would you break the chains today? Would you pull us out of isolation and into community? Father, I, I love you and I thank you for what you're doing, Lord, in this church. God, I love you and I thank you for all that you're doing in our lives, Lord. I pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.